It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to System Mastery, the podcast where we beat a dead horse 1d6 damage and then we eat him. Today's RPG is 3d6 plus stat skill against the target number. It uses the action with an exclamation point engine, and while we may mention the rules again during the episode, that'd actually be really weird. You see, today's episode is about the Kevin and Kel RPG, and so we might just be talking about this weaponized lunatic-grade comic strip until time stops on System Mastery. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is System Mastery, and I'm Jeff, and that's John, and together we form Voltron. <laughs> we fight crime. Uh-huh, we also fight crime. We fight Voltron-related crime. Yeah, mm-hmm. Voltron crimes. Yep, yep. If anyone, like, steals something from a really huge convenience store. Yeah, or we- someone named Voltron Crimes shows up, we'll mm-hmm. fight them. <laughs> yeah, well, we also do deal with Voltron Crimes, the master criminal who was also a Sentai aficionado. Indeed. Or at least his parents were. Like, I mean, he didn't name himself Voltron Crimes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he probably didn't even name himself Crimes. That wasn't his choice. Exactly. Really, it's society that has failed Voltron Crimes. <laughs> Nominative determinism has really fucked Voltron Crimes right up. And we're going to hit him with a blazing sword. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to hit him with a blazing spagooch. <laughs> <laughs> Two Italian character actors with attitude. So, uh, how you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, as... You know, with the rest of the world, it's very warm. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, hey, that's fine. We're actually still doing okay here, because normally California doesn't get fucked up till the end of summer. Yeah, that's true. It, around August, we, we get our dog days around August and October. Yeah. Uh, those are, That's when it's worst here. July is actually not, it does, barely even feels like summer. Exactly. June, July, you're like, oh, it's it's got warmer. Yeah. And then you get toward the end of August, and you're like, Fuck! Yeah, the perennial event of San Diego is to be like, wow, it's June 5th, and it's so mild. I think this is going to be a good summer year. And then and you then- get to, you know, uh, Halloween, and you're like, I'm dying! <laughs> it's 100 degrees, and I need to trick-or-treat. I will kill anyone for an ice cube. <laughs> <laughs> that's just that's just the way things work here. Uh, but good, I'm glad to hear you're doing fairly well. Yeah, it's yep. my uh, my dad's 70th birthday today. Oh, happy birthday to John's dad. We're yeah. sending out a special shout out. He'll never listen to this. Uh-huh, that's right. And that's uh, that's too bad because he also requested Counting Crows Long December. <laughs> <laughs> this one goes out to John's dad. It's been a long December. And there's reason to believe you're going to have a happy birthday. <laughs> Uh, Weird choice for a birthday request, given that his birthday is in July. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> I guess that must have been one long December. <laughs> a nyuck nyuck. A nyuck. So uh, I guess we might as well get right into it this week, because Lord knows there's a lot to talk about. Can I... I just... I, okay. <laughs> who, who needs to take the tentative first step? <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's the thing. When Jeff here was like... Hey, we're going to do the the Kevin and Kel RPG. I was like, "No, Jeff, it's it's 
Keenan and Kel. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I've heard a lot of the, that joke from other people I've told we're doing this. But I wasn't joking. I was like, oh no, Jeff, you fucked up. There's no <laughs> such thing as Kevin and Kel. It's it's Keenan and Kel, my friend. Uh, I, have a, uh, I have a slightly stronger appreciation for classic syndicated newspaper comic strips than John does. It's like a thing I, I it's it's a minor interest of mine. I read a lot of websites that just review them. Notably, I don't have a newspaper subscription myself, so that's the only way I get them. Yes. Uh, but I was familiar vaguely because they were never published in San Diego with Kevin and Kel. Well, it was just a online thing. I mean, this is the fact that this came out in 95 mm-hmm. and was an on like one of the first like web comic and you mean the strip and not the rpg the, the strip R- yes the, the rpg is from late it's like 2015 or something no it's like 2003 <laughs> oh is it i'm sorry you're right you're right i just remember yeah okay um but what was i gonna say yeah yeah it was a web comic at first he did eventually get syndicated and nowadays this guy his name's uh hal holbrook is the author of the comic strips he didn't write this game i think he contributed and wrote no the forward. uh the guy who did write it just contacted him and was like Hey, I want to make an RPG out of your comic strip. Yeah, so he did write a foreword for it, but he he has three syndicated uh, newspaper comic strips. Mm-hmm. He writes three strips a day right now. One of them is this Kevin and Kel, which is like a animal world, very light jokes kind of thing. Uh, another one's on the fast track, which weirdly is exactly the same as this, but it's humans instead of animals. It's just like, oh, you know, everyone works in a corporate office. Aren't corporate offices funny? They're such a source for hilarity. And the third one, I don't even remember the name of, but it's another one. That's, Great. That's, it's like corporate office politics, but also it's about like space exploration. Sure. So why not? Um, but I knew they existed. Yeah, I had no idea that this was a thing at all. So going in, I was just like, oh, okay. Someone like the level of weird I was expecting yeah. was someone made an RPG of a like three panel standard newspaper comic strip. Which in and of itself is very strange. If someone was like, yo, I made a Pearls Before Swine RPG, I'd be like, (laughs) fucking why? Check out my Mother Goose and Grimm live action role playing game. Yeah, it was the knowledge that it existed was very weird to me. Uh huh. And then I read what the comic was. Yeah. And folks. Welcome to the next hour or so of content, because jeezy crazy, I started to go insane. I began to tell friend of the show Claire about it, and every, like, three minutes, she would just stop me and go, what? (laughs) (laughs) And it's an interesting, I will say that while we may not get all that super deep into the rules, we, of course, did make bonus content characters, which you'll be able to find on the Patreon and learn a lot, Patreon, and learn a lot more about the mechanics of the game from that. Yeah, honestly, if you want more in-depth mechanics, patreon.com slash system mastery, $1 level, will make characters, you'll find out about all the, like, ways that you have point buys and skills and the way stuff works, but... I don't care about that even a little bit. <laughs> that is not the part of the process in which I find interest. Because really what this is, is it took the action engine, which I, I looked up a list of games made for the action engine, and they're, they I, we haven't done any of them before. This game felt very familiar. I was going to say, reading it, I was like, did we do an action game? Because this feels like a, like a system I've seen before. Well, specifically the fact the way that it divides your stats up into one of your stats is like the active stat, one of them is the kind of defensive pow- stat, defensive, and one is the, like the power, the power, power stat. Yeah. We've seen that before. Exactly, that's what was very yeah, familiar. Exactly, to me. and I think I know that we saw that in that weird game that was about a desert. 
Remember that? That one where, like, you, where all the made-up words was like, this dude with, like, a hermit crab skull for a head would be, like, using wearing a, a pair of jodlaks and a simca. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it was that. It, that. That one used that as well. I don't remember the name of it, unfortunately. Um, but the the it feels very familiar, but it isn't. We've never touched a game from it before. The only one I can even remember the name of, because they were so generic, was Luftwaffe 1946. Nice. Yeah. Well, I mean, those weird World War II things aren't... It's... It, it's it's not necessarily a deal breaker if they're like, hey, we just wanted to do a game about those weird airplanes that almost mattered, oh. like triflugels and shit. Uh, but the action, they feel very familiar and they're very straightforward. 3D6 for everything. You add a stat, a skill. Uh, the one thing that's really different about this game compared to the other games in the line is that the damage calculation involves a roll you make to see if you take any damage, regular damage, regular damage, and you're stunned or regular damage and you fall down and can't fight anymore. And you have to you have to make that roll Every time you get hit with anything. Yep. Uh, but beyond that, very, very straightforward. Uh, notably, has zero, zip, nada, nothing to do with Kevin and Kel, the role-playing game. Oh, for sure. It's not... <sighs> there is a small bit of this, mm-hmm. of character traits, where they were like, here, you can have some animal traits if you want. Yeah. And that's about the only nod to the fact that this is a game that is ostensibly about this you know anthropomorphic animal slice of life comic yeah like if you go to a newspaper strip right now and read kevin and kel you are very likely to find either schmaltzy romance between like a bunny and a wolf or a bat and a hedgehog or like just sort of a generic computoons grade joke about this boomer dude who writes this who doesn't understand the internet because he'll be like, someone's doing using their avatar to do cyber crimes. Someone else stole my disk drive. I was raising money for those disks. That's why it was a drive. Har, har, har. Oh, yeah. Anyway, go read Garfield. No, it is. <laughs> I need to. I need to express how much that when you read just a single strip, you're like, oh, this is a very very bog standard three panel newspaper comic strip with yeah. like a hey did you ever think of this turn to panel well it's punchline yeah and you're like okay great yeah but as soon as you start reading you realize that the lore of kevin and kel which by the way in the foreword he's like oh i named them kevin and kel that's just like heaven and hell do you get it and i was like dude i've been aware of your comic strip for like 20 years and no this is the first time i thought of that exactly <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, hey, no, I did not get that. <laughs> and and in the former, he was like, and it's so dumb, because obviously everyone got that immediately. And I was like, ha, ha, wow, I'm stupid. <laughs> you thought we thought about this way more than we did. <laughs> uh, when you get into the depths of like the lore that makes up the Kevin and Kel universe, it goes mind-boggling. And part of it, I- I'll go ahead and say the most ba- uh, basic thing. Uh, a huge portion of what makes Kevin and Kel a, co- a comic strip is the dichotomy in the world between predators and prey. Because you see, this is an animal world where animals are, every animal is sapient and intelligent, walks around and wears clothes and has a job and shit. Yeah, you've got your sort of standard Zootopia level. Mm -hmm. Every animal is represented. They're all smart and they all have modern day, like, jobs and living and whatnot. But unlike Zootopia, where they just quietly allied the whole story of why some predators are turning back into predators, it's because an evil sheep did it or whatever. Spoiler alert for Zootopia. Um... This is a universe where predators eating prey is assumed, natural, and it's bad form to defend yourself. No, it's not bad form to defend yourself. It is with a gun. Well, it's bad form to use a gun to attack, too. 
But uh, basically, it's just part of the natural order that every once in a while, if you're not paying attention, a wolf will come along and fucking eat you. We'll just kill and eat you in the street, and everyone else who's walking by will be like, yeah, that's a thing that happens. Well, hmm. Guy should have paid more, should have kept his beeper on silent, dumb fucking idiot. That's as as much thought as they put into it, and then... Well, yeah, because the... The general idea of being like, oh, I wanted to do a comic strip about, like, uh, opposites and, like, the way that we have things that don't seem like they should coexist but do. Mm-hmm. And so the author was like, okay, predators and prey. The, the entire idea is Kevin is a rabbit, Kel is a wolf, but they fall in love. Yeah, and, and so- the first people to ever fucking do that is another thing I love about this, is that our main characters are so groundbreaking that... All this weird hybrid animal shit and and uh, marrying yeah. between species and so on—they're the first people to just like think of it, like to the point where, while well, some people will call it immoral, they literally have like that whole. There's nothing in the rule book that says a wolf can't marry a rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> level of uh, level of world uh, under- interaction with these people and their choices. But this is the thing I wanted to get to: predation, the predator prey dichotomy, is used for every possible dichotomy you can think of in people. And without a thought of how that just works over and over again. Yeah. There are predator churches. There are prey, there are prey churches. The two don't mix. No. I need, to, I need to stop you real quick. Oh, okay. All right. Please, go ahead. When Jeff says that there are predator and prey churches, I want to give you a little foreshadowing for later. Yeah. There is, <laughs> there is an animal Jesus Christ. Yes, there is. Yeah. And not like an, an animal equivalent to Jesus Christ, where it's like, ah, this is like, you know, donkey Jesus and mm. what... No, no. Jesus of Nazareth exists within this world yep. and is an animal. Yeah, they have... Well, it should exist within this world. There's... This is Earth. It's just got a whole convoluted backstory to it. But, um, but yeah, Jesus exists. We don't know what, spe- what species he actually was, nor do we know what species Joseph and Mary and so on, because the whole fucking story... The Bible exists exactly as is, except everyone's animals in it. Um, we don't know what species they are, because when it's told in the comic strip, it's told by the Kevin, the lead rabbit character, and he just tells it as if he was Joseph and his wife was Mary and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so we don't know what they actually were. We, you could never know what Jesus is, because his divi- divine Jesus power is that everyone sees him as their species. It's one of the ways he unifies the masses. Yeah, it's, oh, my message is for everyone, because everyone sees me as one of them. Yes, which is not all that great of a message, because it implies that people wouldn't listen to anyone in unless they happen to look exactly like them. And wouldn't you know it? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it kind of falls apart in the creation myth there. See, but the problem is, I was like, oh, that's actually... (laughs) There's a lot of stuff in in the background weird things for this comic where I'm like, boy, if you meant that as a commentary, that's brilliant, because the way that, like, ah, here's Jesus, a Middle Eastern Jewish man, Mm -hmm. and he looks like the whitest white man ever, because we are white, and so we want him to look like us. And you're like... Yeah, okay, I get it. Every time someone has, like, a depiction of somebody, they want them to look like them. Yeah, but it would be, I mean, imagine the the equivalent on Earth. If instead of uh, dumb American Christians insisting that Jesus looks like a white dude who might go to to a NASCAR event, they they instead insist that Jesus looks like whatever race you are. They're like, ah, you an Asian guy? Here's Asian Jesus. (laughs) That's what he looks like to you, we assume. (laughs) Um, but yeah, it, 
It is basically uh, predation or predator-prey interactions are used for uh, sexuality allegories. They are used Mm -hmm. for racist or racism allegories. Uh, They are used for uh, disability allegories. They are. It is used for gender politics allegories. It is used for a trans allegory. Uh, And there is no thought given. And every time he does it, he just drops it immediately. He's like, "Hey, this is a trans allegory turning from a a predator." into a prey because you feel like that's your natural state. That's a trans allegory until three comic strips from now when I'll drop the allegory aspect of it. It's just a part of this character now done. Yeah. (laughs) It is the weirdest shit. And that is not even slightly the weirdest part. No, no, that's just like, Oh, okay. It feels like when you realize, Oh, he's using predator prey as the, I'm going to use that for every commentary. Yes. Regardless of what it is. Mm -hmm. You're like, all right, you wrote yourself into kind of a corner here yeah. with the way you started your thing and the way it's been going. I get it. That's sort of the way you have to do things. Yeah. All right, sure. But there is a level <laughs> to this where you're like, okay, on the surface, you look calm and ready. <laughs> Knees weak, though, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just Mom's spaghetti. <laughs> no, the uh, on the surface, when you look at it and you're like, oh, this is... uh kind of a slice of life thing with a little bit of politics in there because of the whole like oh it's basically at its root a comic about like miscegenation kind of yeah <laughs> but but a, the comic strip itself is as political as it gets is, is never gets above the level of like oh those clowns in congress what a bunch of clowns and that's the weird thing to me is <laughs> when you are reading the the person who wrote this rpg his summary of the backgrounds of things that happened mm-hmm. in this, it reads like the most absolute bonkers nonsense, like complete, like this is the kind of thing that you would read and be like, oh, you wrote Time Cube, like you're mm-hmm. absolutely a madman. But then when you read a strip, you're like, oh, no, this is this is some family circus shit. Yeah. Well, it really, it reads like, cause it's written, you have the forward by Holbrook, but it's really this RPG author interpreting Holbrook's entire comic oeuvre to the point of 2003 and then trying to treat all of it as serious, all of it as real and cram all of it into this book. But what that is, is basically like, imagine Hal Holbrook is like a two dimensional person where he has no awareness of the third dimension. So whenever he writes a comic strip, yeah, technically radiates out of the third dimension. He doesn't know about that. And then along comes this other guy who does interpret the third dimension and is like, I'll just publish all of this, even the parts that wouldn't make sense from a third-dimensional perspective. It's fine. It's all real. It's all true. Yeah, it's just, oh, Holbrook is writing from, like, singular strip to maybe strip storyline. Yes, he does do storylines. And it's, that's it. And as soon as he's done with the storyline, he moves on to whatever the next thing he wants to do is. But if you look at it in a gestalt, this thing is like, wait, hold on. What is like, this world? There's aliens in this storyline. There's there's real... time travel. I mean, I'm not time traveler is weirder than the aliens. We'll get into that in a second. There are aliens in the storyline, and the reason I'm bringing them up first is because the only thing that they do in the entire story is abduct a Fennec Fox character, a little girl who's a Fennec Fox, give her the power to fix machines with her fingers uh, just by snapping them, so that she can solve the Y2K crisis, <laughs> and then they fuck off forever, and it's never mentioned again. Now, let me ask you this. Yeah. Is her ability to fix machines with a snap a thing that continues on in other storylines? Technically, yes, but she stops doing it because she believes that 
Uh, doing so is weakening the species, or the world of species as a whole, because every time she fixes things, it takes away their ability to learn to do it themselves. Ah. So it, the storyline ends with her so- saving the world from the Y2K crisis and then just being inco- incalculably wealthy because she charged for the service to do that for every computer in the world. Ah. And uh, what does she do? She uses it to build a mansion next to her boyfriend's house, and she just lives there, and she retires from fixing stuff with her fingers because she's like, everyone's got to learn to do for themselves, though. Okay. Yeah. Um, the reason I mentioned the aliens like that is because that's the only storyline they're involved in. They're minor. Uh, if you're wondering why the world is like this, it's because humans did the Wally thing where they like overpopulated and filled the world with garbage and so on. And then they got in spaceships and left. And most of the animals died, just not birds, because birds were up above all the garbage. Yeah. So the animals were down in it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You see, the birds had a head like a hole. The, so humans have like, a nasty toxic sludge over the surface of the planet and birds manage to live somehow mm-hmm. like the fact that they can fly is part of it. But I'm like, yeah, but everything on the ground is sludge, which yeah. means what are you eating? And okay, you know what? Just Never no mind. mention of how like, obviously that would mean that the most likely survivors would be germs and bugs. Yeah. But let's but, just not worry about that. So in the far future, the only thing left on earth are birds that eventually evolve mm-hmm. to become sapient and find a cache of ancient human technology, which includes a time machine that humans apparently just left here. Yeah, you think they're they like, we're going to go to another planet and not take the time machine with us or use the time machine to unfuck ourselves. Right. So the birds use the time machine to go back in time to before the evolution of primates and stop the evolution of primates. They're like, okay, we need to make sure humans don't evolve. Mm-hmm. So there's Be- no primates. So the the world of Kevin and Kel isn't just a Zootopia thing where you're like, oh, it's a world where animals just evolved sapiens. It is a world where future birds went back in time and uplifted literally every animal for no reason. Yeah, they just did it to all of them. I think their thought was that uh, humans were a monoculture thing, and so that wasn't a good idea. We need a lot of animals for a lot of diversity. So they uplift all the animals, uh, and then they eliminate the primate line so that humans don't evolve. Now, does now when, that- I, when I say all animals, I do also need to say this is all insects. Yes, it's everything. 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 Everything is evolved. Even plants are sometimes intelligent in this universe. Yes. But other than that, absolutely everything on the planet is sapient. Now, that's going to lead to a lot of wild shit. But let's just say, yes, everything is uplifted, and also everything is genetically engineered to be okay with the whole predator-prey thing. That's why the animals don't just rise up and go like, no, we outnumber them and we're sentient. We'll just invent gats and murder the, the fucking wolves and shit. Why are we putting up with this? It's fucking ridiculous. Instead, they're all genetically engineered to be like, yeah, it's normal if we die. It's strength of the species and all that. Now, is it, though? Because I thought that was just a... Because it, it is, it's it's in there. Well, the domesticity is a genetic thing that they introduced. Wholly unrelated, completely unrelated. <laughs> but that just happened when he was like, "Well, I've done as much as I possibly can with predators and prey. Now I'll go with predators and domesticated predators." It's <sighs> okay. So birds go back in time, uh-huh. uplift everyone. Yeah, they yeah, realize yeah. they fucked up because they were like. Oh, we have sapient predators, and we can't just have them murder us wholesale. <laughs> yes, yeah. And we don't want them to be like, ah, oh, we're intelligent, and we'll just get to the way humans were and just overeat and over 
take everything. Mm -hmm. Same thing, like you were saying, we don't want the uh, prey animals to be like, oh, we'll rise up against them, get rid of the predators, and then overpopulate. Yeah. The birds become the Illuminati of Earth. Yes, they become the Great Bird Conspiracy, or the GBC. They control the way that society develops mm -hmm. over the course of the next 25 to 30,000 years. Yeah. Not enough time for everybody to evolve like this, by the way, but whatever. Well, they're uplifting them, so I'm, I'm fine with it. Whatever. <laughs> they're like, no, we, we genetically made it so this happened quickly. Yeah. Sure. But for about 30,000 years, these birds have been the Illuminati in the background controlling and shaping ev the way society is going to go, mm -hmm. their entire purpose. The whole point of this is like, we want to make sure that Earth doesn't turn into the horrible, unlivable sludge planet yeah. that humans turned it into yeah. with their terrible pollution. Yes. Obviously, they don't fit. They, they Cut to modern day yeah, comic strips. I know. There are cars and planes. People work in offices mm -hmm. with computers. There's fucking eBay. There's pets.com. There's online dating. There's militaries. There's F-14s. Literally, the F-14 gets reinvented. Uh, there's there's airlines and frequent flyer miles, and at one point they just smugly are like, "Hey, I do I made this comic strip about some new species I made up called humans, and they can't stop polluting their environment." Look to camera, like, and they're not even an aquatic species, and they caused all that sea level rising. It's just not believable, and I'm like. My brother that is a tiny fox wolf. <laughs> My you, brother in Predator Christ. You are sitting at a cheap Ikea drafting table with a lamp on it, writing on real paper with a pen. You're wearing clothes. For some reason, you're always dressed in John Lennon sunglasses and a hat you stole from Brandy in 1993. But all that shit came from stores, my dude. Unless you're about to tell me that you guys also have magic, you're polluting too. <laughs> and it doesn't matter because I'll tell you who doesn't give a fucking slice of shit about any of the uh, implications <laughs> of any of the shit in his comic world, and that's Hal Holbrook, the author, where he basically just kind of goes... Eh, humans are bad, so if I just write a comic strip where these animals say humans are bad, that's good. Even though, it, you know, even a, sec a, a moment's examination would point out that they're just humans wearing animal skins. And the thing is, he tries to make this not be the case. Because he's like, oh no, you see, in my world, the population is under control because we have predators actually killing, like, prey. Yeah. The population is down. We also have an entire section of the world that like is a cult based on being in the wild mm -hmm. so we have like parts of it where instead of being in a city lots of people were like oh we just go out in the wilderness and turn a hunter gatherer essentially mm -hmm. but it's also a cult because you aren't allowed to leave the wild and if you do they murder you yes yeah but that's a secret that's a secret. That's there's, a secret. There's a if secret we, cult yeah. where if you go out and join a commune somewhere, then if you try and leave, they'll kill you. Mm -hmm. And again, it's one of those things where I was like, oh, if you had meant this to be a commentary on like those commune cults and things and we're like, oh, we're trying to make this like I want to do a commentary on like, you know, Jim Jones or whatever. Sure, sure. Great. But it's not. It's just there to be like, well, you see. My world has people more in touch with the wild, yeah. but then you kept writing things and it yeah. got weirder and you made it fucked up. Yeah, he never he never looks back, effectively. Uh, one of my favorite little stories in the history of this world is that 
everything just happened again, effectively. Yes. Like, like uh, every, just happened all the same. Of, all of human history happened the exact same way that it did to humans. But with jokes. For example, the <laughs> but pilgrims, with jokes and birds. The pilgrims are foxes. And the reason that they were foxes is because they were not escaping religious persecution, but rather the persecution of being hunted by British hounds. Indeed. The, the royal family is uh, hedgehogs, uh-huh. I believe. Yes, they are. And um, uh, that's weird. It's weird, but... I would have assumed corgis, but... but aristocratic hounds just couldn't stop with their fox hunts, where they just hunt the foxes themselves, and I assume kill and eat them. Now, and the... I have a question about it, which is, was it just the hounds running around after them, or did the hounds have horses that they hung out with? The only thing I know about horses in the Kevin and Kelly universe, and I'm going to tell you right now, I broke my usual rule and did a little bit of research by just reading a bunch I of... I tried to. I, re- I read a bunch of strips. That's what I did. There is one strip I found with a horse in it, and in that strip, the horse is a professional racer, because all horses are professional racers, Yes, and they put fucking, like, logos on his skin. Yeah, it's NASCAR. It's NASCAR. It's a NASCAR joke. So, while horses exist and are still running and fast and so on, I don't think they get used as mounts. Well, no, I'm not saying if they got used as mounts. You think horses were just I'm saying because it was (laughs) guys on horseback with hounds, I was like, okay, so do we just remove guys and assume it's horses and hounds doing this or was it just the hounds there's no mention of that and in the couple comic strips that are about it we do see that like a fox moves back to england at one point gets a job as a police officer specifically so that he can target and and write tickets to hounds he catches in cars good lord okay i mean i love the concept of a puritan moving back to england just so he can persecute the church of england right that would be fucking if you take the metaphor and reapply it you're like yeah, I'm. Uh, my parents were Puritans. I'm going to move to England, uh, become I don't know a tax a, 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 a collector, and uh, r- relentlessly try to st- strip tax exempt status from Church of England churches. That's my only life goal. It's because I'm mad about the pilgrimage. <laughs> <laughs> it is so weird. But they are very specific that everything happened the same. Yes, we there was a fucking ancient Egypt with animals. There yes. was a Mayan empire with animals. Mm-hmm. There was World War Two. With animals. Who were the Nazis? I think part of what was happening here, you get this bit where, you know, these animals are like, oh, we're so smug. Humans were terrible. We live in an intelligent treehouse. And you think to yourself, okay, well, I guess if everyone lives in treehouses, then yeah, maybe they have less, like, industrial waste. No. Treehouses are a local fad in the tiny town where the main characters live. Other characters live in skyscrapers and major cities and shit. New York in this world is just New York. Yeah. Because, again... You think, like, oh, he lives in a house, and there's specifically the construction of it is made so that the tree keeps living, Mm -hmm. even though you have essentially hollowed it out to make a home there, which, (laughs) don't know how that works. Don't worry about it. But still, sure, fine, great. But then, like you say, he keeps writing and never looks back, and you're like, oh, you fucked up. You absolutely fucked up. There is a strip that boggled my mind to the end of the earth. And in the strip, um, we, we have previously, we've already established that domestication is a genetic anomaly that's introduced into some of the predator species by like a vast global conspiracy that makes them act more like dogs a little bit. Like they're technically, they're wild wolves and so on, even though. But they lose aggression. They lose some of their aggression. Some of them can overcome their domestication and just be great hunters anyway. The the main character, Kel, the main, the, the, the wife, the, 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 she's in the name of the thing. She suffers from domestication. She's also one of the greatest hunters in the world. Yeah. Um, 
other ones simply cannot hunt because of the domestication at all. So there's a big difference with that. But there's this dude named Vin. He's a character in the comic strip. He finds, he knows he's domesticated. He gets a job at the main company, which I do not want to skip. I want to talk about herd oh, thinners. Oh, of course we're long. talking about herd thinners. Um, but he works there and he, because he's an idiot, I guess, even though he's like a, a hyper competent geneticist. But anyway, he thinks, oh, well, everyone here has domestication because the lady in charge intentionally hired everyone with domestication to make office politics easier. Um, so he just thinks, oh, everyone has domestication. This causes him to be like, well, I'll invest in a domestication-related uh, stock online and puts all his money into pets.com. And I got to what the, it's just a fucking joke, right? But what the fuck does that mean? Are these animals keeping each other as pets? What the fuck is a pet? Right? And I was like... <laughs> Okay, because when I first saw that, I was like, I hadn't dug deep enough into this yet. And I was like, okay, so did they, is this a world, I had to imagine that this was a world where I was like, okay, they uplifted everyone, but there are still some non-uplifted versions of them. So it'll be like, nope. oh, there are regular dogs and regular cows. Because let me tell you, when we get into herd thinners, that's going to be a thing where you think, surely there are regular non-sapient cows. Nope. But No. Everyone is that, which means essentially investing in pets.com is like investing in a very specific fetish.com. Yes. It's like slavecollars.com. Yeah. But I mean, ultimately, you think pets.com is like, well, I'll invest in that because domestication is so popular. Domestication has nothing to do with pets, my dude. It is a genetic condition suffered by certain adult people. Like your, your webmaster right over there suffers from domestication. Like, how are you? What do you think investing in pets.com is going to do? Do you think he gives a lot of money to pets.com somehow? Do you think someone owns him? What the fuck is happening? <laughs> and the answer is it's a funny joke. Remember how pets.com didn't do well in the stock market? Here's that joke. Here's the joke. <laughs> and never looking back, but in the, if you put it into the greater <laughs> picture of this world, you are suddenly left with, what the fuck does this guy think is happening? <laughs> And why does this website exist? Right? Most of the other websites are jokes. Microsoft is now MicroTalon. Uh, eBay is now Fleabay. You've which got is... uh, carrot computers instead of Apple computers. Yeah. Fleabay is a joke about uh, it's a dating service to match predators with insectivores that will eat the fleas out of their hides. <laughs> um, it's that, that's, that's the joke. But there's also just eBay. There's just both. Yeah, there's Fleabay and Bay like my bay. And then there's eBay just because I needed to use eBay in a joke sometimes. <laughs> yes, exactly. You just, you just have both. So mo most of the main characters are uh, our, our hero, Kevin, who's a rabbit. Um, before We, we want to talk about that whole, like, the whole predation thing is to avoid overpopulation. You know what would help with that a lot is not uplifting rabbits. He mentions in the, in the story that he's the third of 38 children. Yes. N and... <laughs> They don't do a thing with a lot of, uh, like, in Zootopia, where you're like, oh, yeah, a rabbit is rabbit-sized, and if they meet, like, a wolf, it is wolf-sized yeah. comparative to them. No. Like, they're both bipedal, but one is going to be the same comparative size to the other one. No. No. Everyone is basically just human-sized. Yeah, they have, and like... And Kevin is fucking yoked he's six foot seven he weighs 285 pounds and they they mentioned routine repeatedly throughout this book that the reason he hasn't been eaten yet because he'll just beat the shit out of predators if they come after him because he's fucking jacked yeah his wife the wolf is like a foot shorter than him yeah and just a dainty lady and i keep going like who are you preying on even if you're not kevin who is just an absolute monster yoked badass rabbit like 
all right, look at anyone else. Look at a non-yoked rabbit, and you're still like, yeah, dude, that guy is still, you know, like, got about a half a foot on you and could probably beat the shit out of you. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. You aren't allowed to use weapons. Yeah. This is a society where guns exist, but if you use guns, you're a murderer. Or a terrorist, Mur yeah. Mur <laughs> if you use a weapon, it's murder. Yeah. Because... Well, unless unless you eat them. No. Yes. No. <laughs> no. Because there's an entire thing in there of like, oh, it's still murder. You can't get away with killing your uncle and for the inheritance, even if you eat him. No, no, that's different. That's a, you're, you're right in that. That is correct. But what I'm saying is the difference is premeditation and whether or not you were doing it for sustenance. And if you use a weapon, that is a very big indicator that this was premeditated. Yeah. That you were like, I had to go get a weapon and bring it with me to kill this person. Yes, but, pre but what I was saying is that, is that uh, premeditation in this situation is overridden by hunting for food. You are allowed to do premeditated murders if you are intending to eat the person. The onus of proof is on whether or not you intended to eat them when you killed them. That is the only one. There's huge court cases in the storyline that are about this. Yeah. There's... Also, of course, there are just jokes where people have minor inconveniences and then one of them Also, the, the previous president was eaten by a wolf investigator and it was basically like, oh, what if the star investigation into Clinton happened, but Clinton yes. was a rabbit and star was a wolf and he ate him. Literally 2003 or four when that joke, we knew exactly that it was like the, the Clinton administration when it happened. And the way they describe it is like, yeah, this this rabbit president got caught doing something bad or whatever and so there was a massive investigation into him the attorney general was this wolf and when the rabbit was found guilty he ate him and i'm like wait is that how the fucking justice system works you can sue people to eat them it's it doesn't matter it's a fucking joke move along doesn't matter but that <laughs> means even the president of the these united states is not safe from just Having a dude murder him. No, not at all. In fact, they make mention of that, that the president is normally an herbivore. Why? Because they outnumber the, pre uh, the predators 10 to 1. So they tend to get elected to office because they just overwhelming the way that's the way democracy works. No, note that that is the only place where that is ever true. Because every, every CEO in this world is a wolf. Yeah. All of the, like, corporate non-elected leaders are fucking predators. Mm -hmm. All of the elected leaders are herbivores. And all of the people pulling the strings are birds. Yes. <laughs> so, but they mentioned that, that presidents don't usually get eaten because they're very aware of their surroundings and have bodyguards and shit. But again, this is the, the way it's described in the storyline is just like, hey, well, this rabbit lost the court case. So the attorney general got to eat him. What if the attorney general, I mean, he picks the fucking attorney general. Why didn't he pick someone that wouldn't eat him? And also I have questions. Okay. If I'm, Let's say there's some presidential visit somewhere. I am there. Pre Pre president JFK, the fucking mouse, has come to Dallas, and I am a very hungry man. Mm -hmm. And I decide, oh, shit, I'm going to eat the president. If I go run to eat the president and they shoot me, are they at fault because they stopped my natural predation? Like, does the Secret Service get sued? What the fuck? fuck is this world? I mean, uh, one of my favorite examples of this is we get routinely told, not by Holbrook, but by the author of the RPG, that defending yourself with a gun is bad. It's like bad form. It's considered dishonorable. Uh, it will lead to more trouble than just letting yourself be eaten, blah, blah, blah. But then there is a strip where, like, a turtle is driving home in a car, 
and a, a crocodile comes out from behind him and tries to get him, and the turtle presses a button on his steering wheel, launching an ejector seat backseat of his car to murder the crocodile. Like, flings him 600 feet in the air, and then he falls on the ground and fucking dies. And the whole thing's just a joke of, like, the wolf acting, asking her friend who's a car mechanic, like, how come so many herbivores buy your cars? Because of the special enhancements I put inside them. Except, like, wait, he just used technology to fucking murder that crocodile. Murder him. Well, self-defense. Self-defense. Self-defense with a gun? Bad. Self-defense with a wacky car ejector seat? Perfectly acceptable. Also, also... (laughs) There's a strip where they are talking about, like, oh, uh, here's the, like, what is a grocery store or the, uh, like, food appliances look like? And it was like, oh, food appliances for an herbivore looks like juicers and shit. Food appliances for carnivores, and it's all, you know, like, ways to do meat grinders and shit. And then it's like, oh, appliances for scavengers, and it's a car lot, which means there are... Fucking vulture people out there mowing down pedestrians in a car, and then that's fine. That's perfectly fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, also, 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 also. <laughs> uh, there is the food web is literally written in this book as being that predators are better than herbivores. Like, like, uh, I, I mean, I, I, it's hard to really get into, but there's there's a feat in this game, or what I call like traits, traits. Traits are basically the merit. Yeah, uh, there's merits and flaws because there are flaws. traits and defects. Traits and defects. One of the traits is called like food web advancement. Yeah, you can go up the food chain. You can go up the food chain, and the term they use for doing it is saying that uh, you can move beyond the lesser species. Yes. Now, you, there's also a defect of going down the food chain. Yeah. Where you go to, I am an aquatic animal, which is apparently worse than being an herbivore. Yeah, because everyone just eats fish. Then there's bugs. being an insect. Yeah. And then there is being an actual vegetable, which I was like, haha, what a funny joke until I read that there is an actual sapient flower in one of the comic strips. And I was like, what is the fucking what? Oh, well, please allow me to explain the story of Daisy to you, John. Daisy, the sentient, the the, sentient flower. The sentient flower. See, the sentient flower got shot by an advanced technology bird gun that makes you smarter. Uh, it also shot the house that the main characters live in. Their pork or hedgehog adopted daughter and her her bat boyfriend have all been shot with the be smarter beam. It just turned two of them into fucking nerds, but it turned Daisy into a plant that is a pet. That is what pets.com is probably for is people flowers that got shot with a secret smart beam by a turkey. Pets.com for the one flower that exists. That's intelligent. Yeah, that's a bad investment. That's why Vin's so bad. Uh, each here it is here's food chain leveling each level in the food chain allows the furry to survive lesser species in the circle of life yep i do you know what survive means in that situation i guess it means not be preyed upon not be preyed upon or well it says lesser species it, it, it sounds like it means it, it's missing an on is what it is it should be each level in the food chain allows the furry to survive on lesser species in the food of life or the web of life. It doesn't say that, though. It just says survive, which I guess means that you get to live on as they die. I guess. You survive them and you become their widow. You, <laughs> yes. You're the person who has they to They are walk. survived by foxes. <laughs> uh, so, so the world is very weird, and we haven't even gotten into half of it yet. Uh, at a certain point, beyond the great bird conspiracy, beyond the fact that none of the animals know that humans used to live here, and some of them have, like invented humans as a comic strip that has a global psychic effect 
when people find out or even falsif- uh, falsifyingly like like the human comic strip that humans exist, they become more human as a result. So when Rudy, who's the little fox son who's writing that comic strip, when he spreads it around, the people who read it become more passive and domestic and less animal. And the birds have to put a stop to it. And all it is is they just read a comic strip and it has this like gestalt psychic effect that fucks with people. It's amazing to me. And in addition to the humans leaving the world 25, 35,000 years ago, uh, also, there's an alternate dimension where humans are, are are in their current timeline right now. Well, yeah, because the timeline that the birds are jumping from mm-hmm. is not like, oh, we went back in time and now the future where we time traveled from doesn't exist, creating a paradox. Instead, they create an alternate it's, universe. It's the you know back to the future thing yeah. where we went back and created a branching timeline. So they create a branching timeline, and humans keep showing up in this world. Usually, when they do, they get pushed through a portal in the Indian Ocean, and when they come out on ice side, they become automatically a clone of an existing animal that, that's somewhere in the world. So, for example, Lindisfarne, the uh, the hedgehog daughter of our main character, our titular characters, uh, is a human who got shoved into this world. Uh, she is she? Yes. I thought uh, it was whatever. There's some Danielle, rabbit. Danielle R. Yeah. and Danielle H. There are three uh, human people who have been shoved in and out of our world. Four, Great. if you count people who have been shoved into er- human world and come back. So is Lindisfarne? Hold on, Lindisfarne, the the daughter. Uh huh. Was she, because she's adopted. Yes. Was she adopted and then replaced, or was she adopted as a human who is she an was animal? adopted as a human. She was an orphan. No one knew where she came from. And the, fan, the, the thing is, she came from Earth and didn't know. She came through as a baby. Uh, okay. Now, she is adopted from Kevin's first marriage to Angelique, a, a bad character. Um, and he, she doesn't like Angelique very much and has gone to live with Kevin and Kellen as sort of a, a, a or uh, come to like them a lot more. Yes. She was living in an orphanage where they th- couldn't handle an insectivorous character because she's she's a hedgehog. So they raised her as a porcupine and just forced her to be herbivorous instead. Uh-huh. Uh, and then when she became like a teenager, she realized her true heritage. You'd think it'd be really obvious. Those two species don't look all that similar. They just both have some kind of spikes on them. Yep. Um, she decided to re-embrace her, her insectivorous nature and is now an insectivore and also nocturnal. She used to be diurnal because she was a porcupine. Now she's nocturnal, which is perfect because she's dating a bat. What yeah. luck. What luck. What luck indeed. Now, I take issue with this because she gets constant descriptions in the write-ups and in the actual comic strips of uh, having long, throwable quills. Uh-huh. Hedgehogs don't have that. Uh-huh. They have spines. Uh-huh. People may tell you they have quills, but this is me putting on my pedantic animal man hat. Uh, animal man! <laughs> there's a difference between quills and spines. Quills are full of a spongy material. Spines are hollow. They have spines. Please stop saying quills. Jesus Christ. Um, but it doesn't. she thinks she's one and the other. Uh, but she's been shot with the intelligence ray, so she's super smart. And she's a secret human from another dimension. And she has a clone living. This is the way you can tell that she came from the human dimension. There is a character named Chertsey Ealing, who is a, uh, a, a, a little hedgehog who ended up being adopted into hedgehog royalty when she... Basically was like, oh, I don't want to be royalty. I want to live with Kevin and Kel Duclaw. So I will pretend that I'm Chertsey Ealing, have them adopt her, and then I'll go back to living in obscurity quietly. Then later realize that, no, they're not similar. They're clones. And they're clones because she's from the human world. Wow. (laughs) God damn this strip. (laughs) It just goes on. And it's all... The the thing about this is it's so lore-heavy. There's so much bullshit lore behind it. And the thing it is used in service of is these little gag a day strips. Like, 
the, the any strip with Linda's farn in it might as well be fucking Love Is. Because they're always just her flying around with her bat boyfriend and other characters being like, wow, they sure love each other. They're flying in the clouds and doing skywriting about how they love each other. Oh, look at that. Isn't yeah. that great? Oh, look, she's trying out to be an astronaut and she's really good in the Zero-G machine. It's because she's imagining flying around with her bat boyfriend. How romantic. <laughs> yeah. But then you get like... Kevin has to testify in front of Congress about his, like, <laughs> interspecies marriage and whether or not he has voided the sanctity of marriage. And you're like, hold on. Yeah, he's this an insult is a, to marriage. This is a fucking, like, gag-a-day strip where you are now doing the gay marriage thing, but because it's predator and prey... Yeah. And now you're going to talk about the sanctity of marriage and his, through this? his argument is some horseshit, by the way. Because he's like, hey, fuck you. It's not my fault I fell in love with my wife. If I it, uh, Believe me, falling in love with her has been nothing but problems for me. It fucking sucks, frankly. And you're like, <laughs> my Dude, entire family the... disowned me? <laughs> that, is, that is not the way to defend your current marriage. Your wife is not going to be thrilled to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Boy, I sure <laughs> wish my wife wasn't the way she is. Fuck, I wish you guys would take my wife. Please. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, there's a whole game that you can you can there's play. A, there's a game, but it, really, it's it's a lot like if you were to purchase a Who Framed Roger Rabbit role playing game, right? And you think to yourself, "Oh, neat! It's going to be like a bunch of detective stuff. I'm going to have the rules for cartoon bullets that talk in bad racist cowboy and Indian accents. <laughs> I'm, all the I won't be able to kill the tunes. There's going to be stats for dip. This is going to be great. And then you open it and you get 50 pages of deep backstory where you find out that like Ch Roger actually is like the third generation in a series of cartoon rabbits and has, from a proud and long lineage and that there were actually seven valiant brothers and three of them were clones and so on. And then when you finally get to the rules, you realize they just fucking copy pasted GURPS light into the back of the book with no alterations. They just did a copy paste for people and replaced it with tunes and then they sold it for $20. Yep. Every example in this is like, all right, let's talk about combat. Grew the Barbarian. And you're like, what are well, you talking about? Not only that, but they do this thing where they go like, okay, there is no – they say uh, for, for ease of use – uh, your character is different than a person in the world because characters have a little bit of an edge. They're better than the other people in the world. They have action points that kind of give them the ability to buy edges and so on. It's different. And we will use the term character interchangeably with the term furry in this game. Now, the reason they do that is because the action role-playing game system does that for every game they sell. So, for, uh, for example, you might find a game about zombies and you'll see something like And they'll be like, zombies or furries. Yeah, zombie points. <laughs> characters <laughs> or zombies. Characters or Luftwaffe pilots. That kind of thing. And in this book, they chose furries, which is an understandable choice because everybody's a sapient talking animal. But they don't call themselves furries. The Kevin and Kellar world has never used that term. Nope. Uh, and, and I don't know if it would make any sense. D do you think furries can exist in a world where there aren't humans? Here's the thing where I'm like, <sighs> because this came out in 95, mm -hmm. I was like, I feel like this predates the entire explosion of the idea of furries. Sure. And so this was still like in the same way that fucking like Donald Duck is like, oh, they, what a furry. You're like, no, it was just anthropomorphic animals. That's yeah. just some shit we do. Yeah. And so. To then look at it through the lens of, like, 2003 and go, eh, fucking furries, you're like, not really, no. I don't think that actually applies here. I feel you like You could call them anthros, I guess. That's probably a better term. But then it just goes straight up furry pirates with it, where it just uses furry as the only word they use 
for the rest of the book. Yes. All the part that's the rules calls them furries. All the part that's the lore doesn't. Yeah, and, and you get for, furry it, points. Except for the occasional part where their copy-paste failed. So, for example, in the water movement uh, uh, trait, if you would like to purchase that, uh, that one doesn't cost furry points. It costs mecha points. Oops. Whoopsie-doo. I guess we used the copy-paste from a mecha game. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> The, uh, the rules will occasionally make these minor, tiny references to the furries. Like, there's a whole chase mechanic in the back of the book. Oh, yeah. Um, that was one of those things where I was like, oh, good. You did it. You you added in an entire thing about getting chased because, of course, like, having someone try to hunt you down is a thing in the comic of being like, oh, yeah, you've got to be able to, like, you know, get your rabbit license in order to be a card-holding rabbit so you gotta take a scampering test mm-hmm. and shit like that. Even though you are anthropomorphic and a human, you can't scamper. You have man legs, my dude. <laughs> uh, I I just don't even know how to categorize the, the like the, the the separation when you get like there's a you you can kind of tell that the people who wrote this were just like oh this is about furries and we've been wanting to publish a furry role playing game we'll, we'll take any license that anyone will sell us. Uh, for example, there is in these stats, and, you know, just to make a tiny, minor uh, a, a bit of, at the 52-minute mark in the episode, uh, of reference to the rules, there are six stats in the game. Uh, they are strength and uh, reflexes, reflexes and, health. and health, and then presence, intellect, and will. Yep. Um, they have a chart for what strength ra- uh, comes out to, and it has examples. So, for example, strength one would let you lift, lift about mm, 10 kilograms. Uh, <laughs> that and then the examples are in infant human's weight, which is like, what fucking point is that? Yeah, a shot put, or an M1 Garand, <laughs> which you're like, wait, why? Uh, Kevin and Kel doesn't even have a skill for gun use in it. Why would I need to know the average weight of a World War II rifle? What what the fuck is the point of that? And then it goes right through strength two, child's wi- uh, weight, a full suitcase or a twenty-seven inch TV, three. Average adolescent weight. Four, average man's weight. Five, football lineman's weight. Then we get to my favorite, uh, and it's for a different reason, weirdly enough. Uh, Strength six lets you lift about 400 kilograms, which is the equivalent of a sumo wrestler or something called a GBU-12. Now, I think the author had a sudden fit of realism uh, where they, I guess, like to write war games and thought to themselves, shit, I can't just put GBU-12. The plebes won't know what that is. So in parentheses, he adds 400-kilogram bomb. (laughs) So in case you were curious what a person who can lift 400 kilograms can lift, they can lift this bomb that weighs 400 kilograms. Whew. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And then when you get to strength 11, what can you lift to strength 11? Why, a male polar bear or a camel? I yeah. guess you got to get their permission, though. Well, I mean, you know, if you go to one strength below that, you can lift a female polar bear, so. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> so fucking weird. <laughs> I need to, 
Okay, so back into the lore. Oh, please. I, I, we're almost done anyway. What if, the terrorists it's are gonna rabbits. It's going to go long, folks. Rabbits are terrorists. Now, the reason that there is a rabbit terrorism group, and they have a name. I forget what it is. Yeah. Uh, the, the rabbits are terrorists because they don't want to get eaten. Now, the reason that rabbits radicalize into terrorists is because most rabbits don't live in the cities with everyone else. They build their own rabbit worlds in the war. They have, yeah, they have an underground war in system. And only rabbits are ever down there. And if you want to go down there and you're not a rabbit, you better be sponsored by a rabbit and be accompanied by that rabbit at all times. And rabbits are like aggressively racist and xenophobic towards most of the other species most of the time. Um, which is part of why they all hate Kevin because he decided to marry into a predator line. They get radicalized enough to be like, fuck it, we're going to go kill the predator so that they don't kill us. And their weapon of choice, a crossbow that shoots wooden carrots. Yes. They shoot bolts that are painted orange to look like carrots. Now, and also, I need to ask: yeah. Did rabbits do nine eleven? Uh, I don't I, because nine eleven happened in Kevin and Kel. Sure did. And I need to know if it was rabbits. <laughs> I, I that was one of the two things I tried to look up. Was I tried to look up what animal did nine eleven mm-hmm. and what animal were the Nazis? <laughs> I'm going to assume they were both diverse groups, but maybe not, because that's not the way that these things tend to work. No, usually yeah. not. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, it wouldn't be, I wouldn't put it past it just to, to have been seized by patriotic fervor at the time and be like, who did 9-11 in the Kevin and Kel world? A-Rabs. <laughs> Camels. Oh, <laughs> uh, you get it? But I, I'm not saying that happened because I don't want to be mean to Hal Holbrook. I feel no. like he does not know what he did. Now, here's... <laughs> Here's another question I have. This is, again, one of those things where I was like, if this was on purpose from mm-hmm. Holbrook, then I would be like, what a clever commentary on the world where it's like, oh, who are the terrorists? Rabbits. Mm-hmm. They are being murdered by someone else and their terrorism is trying to stop their people from getting murdered. Yes. And you're like, God, what an amazing commentary on how like American politics causes terrorism by us being awful to other people and then us using that in order to continue to do it. And you're like, God, that would be so good. But I know it was just, I want an excuse to have a carrot shaped crossbow Mm -hmm. and that's it. Well, here's, here's what, how it, how it happened in the storyline. About half of our main characters, like Rudy, Vin, uh, maybe even Kevin, uh, uh, I think Danielle, Kevin's sister, all decided to join this rabbit uprising because they thought it was like just political activism. Well, yeah, it was supposed you know? to be like a like a rabbit pride. Yes, like yeah. <laughs> rabbit lives matter in yes. this. It was pretty much that. But then they realized that they were going to do active political discourse and go out and like riot and shoot carrot crossbows at people and stuff. Uh, and every one of our main characters is like, nope, 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 nope. My politics are I like to stay at home and complain about them. I don't like actually doing shit. You're vile villains. I quit this immediately. Yes. It is the kind of like, oh, I would love it if everyone had equal rights. I don't want you to fight for them. No. But I would love it if it just happened. It'd be great if someone mentioned on the Ellen show or something. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be very powerful and evocative. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Did you hear Rachel Maddow said rabbits should have rights? Mm, Great. That's girl power is what that is. (laughs) Girl boss. But when when they find out that people are, like, actually going out and doing anything, like, protesting the situation, they're like, ew, no, dis. Oh no! No, I don't want to. I don't want to be uh, in trouble with my homeowners association. Ew, gross! <laughs> I can't be I, associated with you. I can't protest with you guys. There's a rule at the country club. <laughs> <laughs> Which again.
again, if it was on purpose, would be so amazing if it, that was a commentary. But again, I assume not. No, it's just that they find out that the rabbits are bad guys because they kill predators. And I got to say, there's nothing ever anywhere in this book at all about predators hunting other predators. It's never mentioned. It just goes like, hey, predators hunt prey. That's how. That's the way shit works, my friend. Predators hunt prey, and it's deadly serious when they do. They only do it for predation, and that's why it's time to talk about Herd Thinners. Yes, it is. The Herd Thinners is a company that our main character, Kel, and almost everyone in the comic strip eventually works at at least a little bit. It is... Here's the here's the business model of Herd Thinners Incorporated. Um, they are hunters. They go out and they hunt for food. Now, they do that by contracting with predator hunters to go out and actually do hunts in the wild. They escort them out to the wild, which is a part of the world and also a cult and also a, comfort, a part of the world where people can choose to live like animals if they want to. Yep. Like they can take off all their clothes and run around on all fours, even though they're not like biologically designed to do that. Uh-huh. They can just choose to. But they just airlift their hunters into there. They kill one animal. They get a portion of it for themselves. That's part of their yeah, payment. They they basically kill an animal, eat some of it for lunch, mm-hmm. and then call in someone to airlift that single dead animal yes, carcass. By helicopter. But leaving the bones and ofall and whatever for scavengers, because again, this is all part of the circle of life and very natural, and we we preserve the natural order. Now, you may wonder, what do they do with that meat that they buy? Like, obviously, that's got to be all boutique because it's insanely expensive to send a, a single hunter into the wild to kill a sentient creature that will fight back yeah. and then and then eats a chunk of it and then sells the rest. That's got to be like, they got to sell that to like oil barons and shit who have to eat it with cloths over their heads so that God can't see their shame. <laughs> that's No, you can just buy that shit at the grocery store. That's just steaks and chicken breasts and shit. That's what that is. Yeah. Grocery stores exist, and both herbivores and carnivores go there because, you know, herbivores are like, oh, maybe I'll, like, mow my lawn by trimming it, by eating it. But also, you know, if I just want some vegetables, I'll go get some fucking vegetables from the store. Yeah. The first joke in the foreword of this book is that you can see Kevin over there pouring ranch dressing on his lawn. Yeah. Get it? Because he's going to eat his grass. hey and I guess that also means he's going to eat some milk because ranch dressing has dairy in it. Yes, what, indeed. What does that mean? Does, does this world have a dairy industry? Or are there just cow ladies squeezing their titties oh, day course. in and day out? How does that work? <laughs> Don't it, worry about it. Well, you see, on the farm, <laughs> when you work at a farm... <laughs> I love that there is a section on what farm life is like, and they're like, hey, if you're an animal that works on the farm, that doesn't just mean you're food for later. And it's like, I wouldn't have thought so. If that was the way it worked, no one would go into that line of business. No, you wouldn't be like... <laughs> Well, I'm a cow, and I guess I'm going to go work on a farm to get murdered. <laughs> no. Thank you for the update book, but I did not have that miscon- <laughs> misconception. But Herd Thinners is like, no, we provide f- meat to all the grocery stores in all of these cities. And remember, New York exists and is just New York, which mm-hmm. implies that all the standard cities you would assume exist, exist, and they are exactly the same. So the level of, even if the population is way smaller you're still having to feed billions of people yeah tons it's an insane amount and predators make up 10 so you think okay that that may not be that big of a deal because predators make up about 10 percent of the of the uh the world population omnivores an even smaller percent because it's just i mean let's let's uh, let's go ahead and put this aside i don't want to have i don't want to deal with this in the comments later i'm aware of the existence of obligate carnivores like cats but I am also aware that there is no such fucking thing as an obligate herbivore. Huh. There isn't one in the world. You think a cow is an obligate herbivore? Leave a bunch of baby chicks around it and then count how many you have left later. Yeah, if you haven't seen 
the video where a deer just eats a baby bird. <laughs> She's like, oh, a bird. <laughs> yeah. There's no such thing as novelty or herbivore. They will all take meat when they can get it. Not in this world. Huh? Uh, but anyway, the, the, the point I was trying to make is that there's just not that much. There, there's a smaller market for meat, but there's also a way smaller influx of meat. Uh, America alone, and go ahead and quote me on this, PETA, please enjoy it, kills about 29 million cows a year for food. And each one of those cows weighs about 2,000 pounds. Now, in this world, they go out and maybe once a week kill like 180-pound guy, eat a little bit of him themselves, and then sell the rest to a grocery store. Yeah. There's not And remember, not all 180 pounds of that is shit you eat. No. There's all sorts of bones and offal and gristle and shit and whatnot that you leave behind. Mm -hmm. There's a ton that you're going to eat for yourself, and then they have to cut up and put actual chunks of it in a store. Yeah. It's it's great, and you'd be amazed with how much like half acidness this is presented in the. Sh- it, it's always just presented as romantic. Like there's there's like a a, a rabbit. No, it's a, a yeah, it's a rabbit who becomes a, a, attracted to eating meat because she's just not a very good person. And then like she gets married, and her husband is like dotingly feeding her meat behind like closed doors, not because it's like against the law or anything, but just because it's shameful that she likes meat so much. Yeah. Well, I mean, Kevin and Kel have a kid because. I mean, we may as well say any animal can breed with any other animal, which is... They just don't. Only our main characters ever thought to fucking do that in the past 30,000 fucking years. Yeah. And uh, they have a kid that's basically a rabbit that is a carnivore. So that's a thing, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And it's just used for jokes. She's a little baby, but she's like hyper carnivorous. Like, I guess she got 150% wolf. I guess. Um so she's just constantly eating, like, mice businessmen and stuff and just spitting bones all over the room. And everyone's like, oh, you. Oh, you. And it's like, wait a minute. I thought the whole point of hunting is that it's got so much fucking chivalry and legal stuff and honor tied up in it that you can pretty much go about your life if you're an herbivore expecting a reasonable life. But here's, like, a baby that never, just fucking never stops eating. It's like the bam-bam of animals just sitting there like, I'm going to kill 50 fucking animals today. And it's like, no, you shouldn't. That's bad. Also, all that noblesse obligé about fucking hunting goes out the window the moment you find out what the most popular high school sport in this world is. It's indiscriminately killing people who live around town. Yeah. Fucking the... <laughs> why the most popular sport is sport hunting. Which shouldn't be. 90% of the population won't have anything to fucking do with it. Yeah. But I guess there's enough... I suppose herbivore spectators that are like, God, I love watching a dude get ripped apart. Oh, look, he got my uncle. I love this. Oh, what a wonderful sport. I watched that man rip a dude's throat out and begin eating him. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. It's just it's just nuts. And, and they, they tell us right in the comic strip that like, oh, yeah, competitive hunting, doubles, singles, and foursomes is the most popular sport in school. And, you know... All the other sports are there. There's fucking basketball and soccer and volleyball. Those sports exist, but for some reason, competitive murder is the most popular. Okay, I'm going to give you a quick example of how ham-fisted this is. Just So how- here I am, punching a dude with a ham. This is domestication. We mentioned it earlier. It's a genetic trait that was accidentally introduced to carnivore populations by the birds at some point. Well, it wasn't accidentally. Actually, it was intentional, sorry. Um, and they find this out because Lindisfarne, having been shot with that super smarts gun, uh, susses out that it's the exact same genetic anomaly in every carnivore that has it in the exact same point in the gene, in the gene strain. Mm-hmm. So she's like, it must be. A, 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 a Purposeful. Thing. And it's like, well, I don't know. It's not like, just a weird mutation. It's a, Given that male and female traits are always found on the same chromosomes, I don't know if we're right, but whatever. Let's move on from that. Um, 
domestication, when it's initially introduced, is treated as a terrible life tragedy. Like, like it's a disability. Yes. It's basically an in-thing equivalent of, like, being autistic or blind. It's like, it's like a serious disability that it takes a lifetime of work and hardship to overcome. Yes. You have to find a new way of life for yourself. Later in the story, not that much later, by the way, really close to then, our main character's little kid, Rudy, is getting threatened by a bully. And his father, who turns out to, I believe, not, not his father, his real father, not his adopted father. Yes. So his father, Ralph Duclaw or something. I forget the guy, that guy's name. No, that's, never mind. That's his uncle. His father, who we shouldn't even mention, he died in a hunting accident. It's mentioned, I would love to know what that is, by the way. <laughs> what does a hunting accident look like in a world where you don't have does guns? Does that mean he just went after an animal that fucking murdered him in response? Yeah. Because uh, it's a hunting accident. Yeah. Did he just jump off a cliff? Did he wily Coyote himself? No, wait. Oh, wait. He was a fox. This dead dude was a fox. Anyway, this dead fox dude gives Rudy a stick and is like, you'll know what to do with it when the time is right. Keep in mind that these two characters, the bully and Rudy, half brothers. Got it? So Rudy's like, hey, I'm going to kick your ass, little man. I'm going to ruin you. Oh, no, a big bad bully. What clever thing will will uh, Rudy do to get out of this? He thinks about it for a second and realizes his father gave him the stick because Vin suffers from the domestication gene. He throws the stick and yells, fetch. Vin goes and fetches it. The entire schoolyard yells verbatim, ha ha, Vin has domestication. Our main character, our cool little hero, has solved a problem by outing a person's disability to the school, and then they pounce on him and make fun of him for it. Yes. I mean, this is this is like as bad as those old stories where they'd be like, this guy's a bully to gay people. It turns out he is gay. Everyone is And I'm going to out him. him in front of the entire school. That doesn't happen in stories anymore because that's not a real solution. That's just further cruelty heaped on the original cruelty. Yeah. But here it is again where he's just like, my half-brother's autistic, everybody. Make fun of him for being autistic. And they're all like, we sure will. You're the good guy. Uh, of course, later, he ends up having dystraxia. He also has domesticity. Great. He's got both problems later. But it's like eight years later that he finds out he has both of those things. Huh? So it's fine, because by then, Holbrook forgot about that. That dude doesn't exist in the fourth dimension. He doesn't know what time is. He just writes three strips every day, and then the next day, it's a whole new fucking day. Oh, God bless. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he has dystraxia, which is that when he sees a, a row of tracks, they he can't look, see which way they're headed. Except when we see an example of dystraxia, it's a line of tracks to show the normal tracks and then a line of tracks where each footprint is pointing in a different direction for dystraxia, which means he still has a 50-50 chance of being right. Yeah, because it's not like, oh, I see tracks all over the place. Yeah. It's, oh, I still see a line of tracks. Yeah. I'm just not sure whether they're going that way or that way. Thing is, again... If I'm following someone, then I know 100% which way they're going because the line goes to them. Yeah. <laughs> God damn. But don't worry about it. It's a, it's a, it's an equivalent of dyslexia and it's really serious and really sad, everybody. Until a bad guy has it, then we use it to make fun of them. <laughs> <sighs> now, there are a couple rules added to this game and I'm going to keep trying to mention the rules, even though I'm going to check real quick. We've already been talking for an hour and 10 minutes. I could talk about Kevin and Kel. <laughs> Forever. <laughs> this strip boggles my mind, and the implications of it are so far-reaching. So one of the rules that they added doesn't really appear to have anything to do with the Kevin and Kel universe, and that is the damage save roll. Whenever you get hit with a damaging attack, uh, you instead of just writing down that amount of damage on your sheet or like subtracting your soak value or checking it against an armor score, you roll 3d6 plus what's called your damage save calculation. Uh, and your damage save calculation, I think, is like the average of three of your stats. 
Um, yeah. And, and that is a bonus you get to make a roll on 3d6 against a target difficulty of 12 plus the average damage TN of the incoming damage. If you succeed at that roll, you don't take any damage. If you fail by five or less, you take the amount of damage and are stunned. And if you succeed or if you fail by more than 10 or, or, or you're currently in, I'm sorry, less than five damage, you just take the damage. Yeah. If you succeed by or don't succeed by five or less, mm-hmm. then you, you just, just take, take damage. damage and there's if, no extra. If it's five or more, then if it was if it was a stunning damage, like unarmed combat or something, you get stunned. And if it was lethal combat, then you get disabled. You're unconscious for the rest of the fight. Yeah. Now, you roll that for every time anyone swings damage at you, and it feels like an unnecessarily, like, it brutalizes the combat too much because you're, uh, you just have a, ter- a chance every time you take any damage to just get taken out of the fight entirely with no no repercussions. I mean, there's a point in one of the examples of play where someone just keeps getting stunned. Mm-hmm. Is this fucking stun locked? And you're like, <laughs> great, that sounds fun. Uh, there are, uh, there's, uh, the trait system, which we already mentioned. There are about 30 billion traits. There's just too many of everything. Well, there's a, an ass load of traits, an absolute goddamn huge amount of skills. Yeah. Almost because it's like immortal, the invisible warrior. Oh shit. yeah. Because this also is like, okay, there are skill groups. Mm-hmm. So you can be like, oh, this is the, you know, arts skill group within the skill group. There are individual skills and within individual skills, there are specialties you can have. Yes. And you can spend... If you spend five points, you get one in the skill group. Mm-hmm. So you'd be like, oh, any skill that has to do with this skill group, I count as having one in. Mm-hmm. That's for five. If you spend one point, you can have one point in a skill. And if you spend one point for a specialty, you get two points in it. Yes. Now, <laughs> now of course, mean- that means if you look at a skill group that's like, I have five skills. You're like, well, there's zero reason for me to buy skill group. That is correct. Yes. If you look at a skill group that's like, I have 12 in here, like one of their business ones is just like, here's fucking 12 skills. You're like, oh, let's get the group then, I suppose. There is a good reason to purchase uh, skill groupings, and it's because you can use it to break the local cap on Because there's caps for uh, three different power scales within the game. You can play as... Oh, yes. So- your, your starting points for stats and skills are depending on if you're playing realistic, cinematic, cinematic or extreme. extreme. Uh-huh. Uh, and those come with skill caps, but those skill caps are broken by both uh, specialties and by skill group caps. So, for example, if you wanted to be like the best there ever was at boomerangs, you could purchase a bunch of skill grouping into ranged weapons, a bunch of skill points into boomerangs, and a bunch of specialties into boomerangs this boomerang, and end up at like, oh, I'm plus 24 to boomerangs when the skill cap is 8. Fuck you. Yeah, because the skill cap is five for realistic, uh-huh. which means you're like, oh, well, if I put five points into a skill and then five points into a specialty of that skill and then five points into the skill group, great. I'm at Even plus though 20. I'm realistic, I'm ridiculous. <laughs> you have it plus 20, which makes 3d6 plus that versus a target number feel a little dumb, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, there are just- Of course, you only get 50 total points, so five in a skill group would be like, well, there's half of my points. If you play civilian, yes. That yeah, is, if, that, you're, if you're playing the realistic. Yeah, yeah, realistic. If you move it up to uh, cinematic, you get 75. Now, you use the same skill point grouping for both skills and for uh, the, the bonus of the traits. Yeah. But they don't tell you that at the start of traits, and traits is like 40 fucking pages. It's so weird to me that they're like, all right, and we're going to go right from the... Uh, point by system and the stats system for your attributes go into traits not tell you how you get traits do 40 pages of traits then get to the skills section which explains how many points you get for skills and traits yes and also goes th- doesn't do it until about 20 pages of shit about how to learn skills which includes things like 
uh, getting training skills so difficult that it would take a factor of millennia to accomplish that skill training group. And you're like, why? Who's living millennia? Are the birds living millennia? You got to tell me if they are, because I don't know. Are the birds living La Vida Loca? <laughs> then you get defects. Defects are mostly just embarrassing. They're they're the worst. The, uh, the main character in the, the, the book, Kevin, the six foot seven rabbit that will beat you to death. Uh, he has a physical impairment. You see, one of his ears is cocked at a weird angle. He's got like one lop ear. Oh yeah, and that's a deb- that's a debilitation. There are a ton of things in defects where like, oh, if this sort of impairs you, get a point. If it impairs you a lot, get two points. And you're like, is there a is there a, any mechanical way that impair is going to be? No, just assume it impairs you in some way. <laughs> All right, it'll sure. Be up to, it'll be up to, I believe they're called the cartoonist. Yes. The, uh, the DM in this game is the cartoonist. Uh, there are, we mentioned the six stats. There are also, I think, five or four derived stats. Uh, yeah, your defense, your damage, which we went over, and and, uh, move. and your move. Yeah, and they're, they're all just, you know, take this, add it to this, then add in the average of these two stats, and that's your... That's how many meters per round you can move. We'll include a, uh, include a big or include a huge list of how fast actual animals are, and imply you'll be that fast. You won't be anywhere near that fast. Oh yeah, when they're like, "Oh yeah, you're you're going to be moving at whatever speed," and I'm like, "Oh good, an average person can move at max speed. The speed of a jog mm-hmm. is the regular <laughs> person's maximum speed." And then they're like, "But if you're playing a cheetah, you're going to be so fucking fast." You're like, "No, you won't. No, you, you really that won't." won't. Not, you can you can go down into the trait listing and buy the an, the unique animal trait and I guess buy speed there, but it'll just tell you to increase your stats so that your speed gets higher and you won't get anywhere near the speed of a cheetah, not even like slightly close. Yeah, I think you can spend on move specifically uh, some of your furry points mm-hmm. to to increase that, but it's like, all right, my dude. <laughs> Notably, you can tell that the people designing the characters, because the back of the book, we kept you you keep turning pages in this book because you keep thinking there's going to be a section that ties all these extremely complicated and detailed combat rules for a wartime or espionage related game back into this storyline that's all about like my computer stopped working. Call the webmaster. It's going to take him a long time to get over oh. here because he's fat. Or, you know, to call the webmaster and it's a spider. Do you get it? Uh, That would be a good joke. The webmaster is uh, Kevin's brother-in-law who is... I was going to say Kel is actually the webmaster for... No, she gets gets graduated out of that. She's currently an executive assistant to uh, RL, the boss of Herd Thinners. Her brother, Ralph... A wolf who is so afflicted with domesticity that he can't hunt at all is currently the webmaster and has gained like 400 pounds as a joke about what nerds are like. Yay! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I'm crying. Uh, the book has... you keep. What I was saying is you keep turning pages hoping that eventually the book will tie this rule system to this storyline, and it doesn't happen. Instead, it just gets so deep into the weeds on shit like burning rules and drowning rules and, and chase rules and airplane piloting and gun rules there is so much shit for like how machine guns work in this game i cannot reiterate this enough there is not a gun skill in this game there is a ranged group skill and within it there are slings slingshots crossbows and boomerangs and that's it my man that's it my friends my dudes my brothers in christ (laughs) 
<laughs> there is no gun skill, but there is a four-page section on how spread fire from an automatic weapon works. This also, though, makes me go, okay, are there just... Do they have very strict civilian gun laws? Because we know that all the world wars and shit happened, and because F-14s exist, mm-hmm. we know that that's there, but was it like trench fighting but nobody had a gun you just had to run over and stab a guy or do you think like do you think it was like normal in the army like in world war one do you think during in the trenches like more herbivores than carnivores died because the carnivores got hungry in the trenches and were like i'm just gonna eat this fucking sheep i don't care about our unit cohesion i'm hungry no i i have to imagine that or it was like oh yeah whatever anyone would like run the trenches it was because like oh are the carnivores on our side are trying to get to the trenches on the other side to eat them <laughs> i mean how often do you think that shit happens where you have like two guys sitting together in the b-17 like in the and the belly turret gun or the uh the side turrets and then one of them just turns around and is like yeah i'm gonna eat that guy and they're like oh we're gonna get shot down what the fuck are you doing there's f there's there's a messersmith's coming and he's like hey don't interrupt me eating people this is a sacred and divine process that we all go through circle of life oh we got shot down i mean it even says in there they're like oh maybe a sheep works next to a wolf on an assembly line and that wolf's probably not going to eat that sheep because they work together maybe they get beers after work but you never know There's a there's a strip where RL the office wolf who's like the boss of the entire company uh is getting yelled at by another wolf from another company and then he just kills him and mounts his head on the wall and it's just a gag. He doesn't eat him, he doesn't use him for sustenance, he just kills him, skins him, takes him to a taxidermist who by the way is an insane concept in this universe. Huh? I mean, that's just a mortician, I would assume. You think, but you got to bury that fucking guy. If you kill someone and mount their head on your wall, you're going to have a really hard time mounting a legal defense that you killed them for food. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just just saying. Like I said, I could talk about the implications of any given strip forever. Every, Every strip has something in it that just causes you to go, Wait, no, what? Wait, hold on. Ho- wait, what, what the fuck? What, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> uh, some of them are so banal, b- banal that they're just, they boggle the mind. There's a so- whole story about how Linda's far in the hedgehog ends up in space. She goes, she ends up on a space mission. And on the way back down, she, her ship collides with the Mir space station. And this causes a lot of her spines to shear off and fire all over the world and hit people. Yes. Right? Now, you think to yourself, oh, right, that's probably going to cause like an international incident, or a couple of them, because she hit a space station, blah, blah, blah. No, instead what happens is she creates the Cupid myth, because her quills hit a bunch of people, and then they'd be like, ow, my arm hurts. And then their husbands and wives and stuff would be like, oh, poor baby, you need a special hug. And then they'd look at the camera, I'm getting a special hug. And, yes. it, and then literally the news was like, it's fine, though, because it led to a bunch of wanted sympathy from loved ones. And, and here's like, a sketch for what we think the person shooting these quills might look like. And it's fucking Fenton the Bat, but he's been turned into a little angel with arms and leg, arms and wings, which is not a thing in this universe. Uh, <laughs> it's just a fucking joke. But even then, you're still like, what the fuck banal shit is that? Like, a bunch of people got a quill in the arm and it got them a hug, and then everyone was like, yay, hugs. If you can't get a hug from your fucking wife, and the only way you can get one is if you get hit in the air and the arm by a space spine... Fucking get a divorce. <laughs> it's, it's not working out. If that's the only enjoyable intimacy you got all month, move on. Reevaluate. Hey, maybe they had a perfectly fine relationship, but, you know. How they... come he's so excited about this single moment? Because he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get coddled. I guess he Everybody... forgot. 
everybody likes to have someone dote on them. I guess that's fair. I'm going to go to bat for this. Go to bat. That's the one strip. I'm going to go to hedgehog for this. (laughs) Uh, It's such a fucking. And there's all these characters that have just like disowned their family members and stuff because like, like they live next door to a bear couple who disowned their first daughter because she decided to be vegetarian. Yeah. Which is, you know, the whole like, oh, my kid is gay and I'm going to disown them thing. And then, but then they like are adoptive towards Kevin, Kevin and Kel, Kel yeah. because they feel bad about it. Yeah, they feel bad. And then Kel goes off into the wild to find their kid and they like forgive her and everyone's happy now. And I'd be like, dude, first of all, bears aren't even obligate carnivores. They're omnivorous. They eat like 90% vegetables. <laughs> That's their primary food source. And before you come at me about fucking polar bears, these are black bears. Ah, got it? Okay, I know okay. about polar bears. All right. Okay. okay. These are black bears. 90% eat vegetables the fuck anyway. This guy's just like, ah, I guess I just won't eat fish anymore. And they're like, get the fuck out of our house forever, you freak. Also, speaking of, there are <laughs> there are fish that are sapient, and I've never seen one on screen, although I've up. heard them talked about, and I keep wondering, are they in like bowls because there's like oh over at the over at the fucking butch like butcher's area in the seafood section there's a sea bass that is the person who's running that section i'm like okay but is all the is all the meat dead fish that he (laughs) is in his own bowl that he throws out of the bowl at you do you have to go into the water with him is he perfectly comfortable just cutting up his own dead relatives and feeding them to you what is the deal i don't understand there is a point where uh, Lindisfarne and and Fenton, the bat, briefly break up. And during that time, Fenton starts up a relationship uh, with Moth, because uh, Moths are also sentient. And uh, Lindisfarne, of course, is an insectivore. She's a, she's a hedgehog. When she finds out about the relationship, her initial plan is, I'll get my man back by eating that hussy that's, threat, that, that's trying to get between us. Premeditated murder. Premeditated murder. It doesn't happen. Instead, they become friends. Yeah. Um, but it's just... I mean, the current president of the United States is a butterfly. Yes. (laughs) The other thing, I wanted to mention this. Remember earlier, way earlier in the episode, when I was harping on how the birds went back in time and eliminated the entire line of primates to stop humans from existing? Yes. There's a strip where they go to a beautician that's a lemur. Because I guess he just fucking forgot his own lore, or he thought lemurs weren't primates or something. I mean, maybe stopped... The great apes? So there are monkeys. It said primates. They said there's no monkeys, there's no apes. And yeah, I get it. Prosimians technically aren't either of those, but they are from the primate line. And Lydia Lemur is a lemur. She's also the only character I've seen who just has her species as the last name and anybody in this. That's a little weird. Yeah. You don't see anyone else named like Jack Rabbit or whatever, you know? You uh, you should, because that's a good name. Because it'd be great. Yeah. And hold on a second. Let me change the name of my character. (laughs) No, my character is not a rabbit. It's fine. It's just whatever. Joke of the day, but also the deepest lore in the world. But also, we're going to ignore it all the time. I I love it. Anyone out there who has made it this far into this podcast, God bless you for sticking with us in this deep dive of a comic strip instead of what you came here for in RPG. Mm-hmm. Join <laughs> us in the bonus content, won't you? <laughs> We really did make characters. You, we will deeply further interact. This is not a gimmick. We are not. We're not doing this as like, oh, from now on, we're just going to talk about the fucking dumb shit from the lore of the book. And then, if you want ruled reviews, you got to go over to Patreon. No, no, that wasn't a purposeful thing. I'm just baffled and overwhelmed by this comic strip 
in a way that I have not been since like Eorus Essence, where looking at it made my eyes cross and go, I have no idea what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The uh there's so much. There's just so much. There's a bit where Rudy is dating that Fennec Fox that we mentioned earlier, Fiona, the one who can cure the Y2K bug by snapping her fingers. Yeah, but she's joined a hate group. Yes, she joins an online hate group because... The Fennec uh, Fox... Fennec Pride. It's just called yeah. Fennec Pride. Uh, she, she goes to them because she's trying to reconnect with her old heritage. So she starts wearing, like, desert wanderer clothes. Like, she dresses like a fucking Romani. I'm not sure what exactly the point of that was, but she's like, these it's, are native Fennec clothes. Yeah, but it's weird that they were like, also, we're going to tie that into, like basically being white power yes because what happens is she gets way into it she gets a bunch of piercings to like rebel against her family she writes the word fennec in piercings down one of her giant ears yeah she is just a huge collection of ear jokes for the most part there's a great comic strip where she goes out to make snow angels and because her ears are huge they, they she makes a four-leaf clover i'm doing the air quotes right now i don't know why i'm doing that on a podcast she does she makes a four-leaf clover they all make fun of her for it she doesn't make a four-leaf clover she makes a fucking iron cross ah, it's an iron cross Holbrook, that was an Iron Cross. Holbrook? I'm calling you out. But anyway, the Fennec group starts yelling at her for dating a fox-slash-wolf hybrid boy because she's being disloyal to her species. Later, we never resolved that story. Later, she she gets kicked out of the group, not because she's dating him, but because her ears are too big and they think it's weird. <sighs> and, uh, yeah, yeah, that's just a thing. By the way, she also, there's no fucking way she's a Fennec Fox. She is red and black. Hey. Fennec Foxes are white and yellow. If you're going to make her a Fennec Fox, fucking do it right and don't give her regular fox colors. Nah. I'm just saying. Eh. Eh. <laughs> All right. Meh. Did you have anything else you want to say? You, I'm, you, you, I'm sure you got loads. I mean, <laughs> every time I stop to think about this again, I'm just like, the fact that birds created a Y2K virus and it was solved by aliens is like a throwaway in this mm-hmm. is, again, just one of those I can't. I can't. I can't. Jeff, I can't. <laughs> I know. I know you can't. It doesn't make any sense. And it's just, it's a weird way to get tossed into this comic strip. Like, if you were to encounter Kevin and Kel in your fucking Sunday funnies, and you're like, oh, ha ha, that one dog has to give that other dog part of his tail because dogs are very important, need their tails for communication. Oh, yeah. Oh, the, he got part of his tail lost in an accident. And now when he tries to talk to people, it's he's got a thick accent because he's got part of his tail missing and they use it to communicate. It's deeply funny that people can't understand him because his tail doesn't work, even though he's in bed with the sheets up to his neck. What were they supposed to see? And also... You'd think that would be only for communicating with other dogs and not like, I'm a mouse nurse. I'm sorry. I didn't understand what you said. Why? You understand what anyone else says without it? Well, it's a great strip because it's Vin, that bully from earlier, who's now been discovered to be a half-brother. Now he switched from being a bully into a tragic comic figure. Uh, He he loses part of his tail in an accident, and uh, his half-brother is a perfect genetic match, so they're going to do a body donation on it. Meanwhile, we get to see the whole miscommunication problem as Vin, again, in a bed with a blanket on him, so there's no way his tail would have been part of his conversation anyway, has ordered a beer and been brought the head of a deer by a duck who misunderstood him because of his language difficulties i guess Ugh. tail shakes work with english phonemes i guess whatever it's fine everything's fine i'm glad that they had a refrigerated deer head in the hospital oh, of course they did of course they do why wouldn't they oh and who said it was refrigerated maybe they just killed one of the doctors <laughs> oh i am a predator go kill me a fucking deer doctor uh well i guess i have to all right I just, we do do whatever predators say in this in this uh, society huh? we live in a society uh all right 
I can't. I can't talk about this anymore. You want to talk about the rules even a little bit? No, not really. Because I got this huge list of complaints. I mean, it's bad. <laughs> I'll give you that. Well, my 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 list of complaints include that there are so many rules that it's crazy. Yep. Because it's an entire engine. I want to not an engine that's been curated for this game's experience. I need to confess something. Yeah. After getting through, I would say maybe half of the rules to yeah. two thirds. I began just scrolling down and reading the comics at the bottom of the page because mm-hmm. I was like, I don't care about any of this. Like, how does flying work in a plane? What if I'm doing a gun shooting? I was like, no, tell me more about this world. I need more. I get it. I was I was at least reading the headers on every page to be like, do I need to read this? No, I don't. I'm not going to ever talk about how slowly poison affects people. It's not going to come up in an episode. It's not good content. So uh. I would scroll down then. Uh, I, I would like to mention that there is a whole bolted-on set of rules specifically to the Kevin and Kel RPG from other action RPGs called the Micro and Macro Scale, which is basically palladium mega damage, but intended for, like, if a mouse has to fight an elephant in, like, hand-to-hand combat, except that none of the, the sample characters use it, and it is never mentioned outside of its own section, and it doesn't make any sense in this system because, again, the smallest character should be Fenton the bat because he's a regular fucking fruit bat. Uh, or, you know, a moth. Or the baby. Like any of them, none of them use this system. So what am I supposed to do if I want to? Why would I include this when it's clear it's not part of the world the license is based on? Yeah, given that the fucking hedgehog girl is the same size as the fucking, like, wolf boy. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, it doesn't matter. None of these are to scale. Yeah, I would also like to mention that uh, you get your number of uh, attribute points by taking the average amount of points that a, a normal person would have at that level. Uh, and uh, basically uh, averaging them, or or, sorry, multiplying them by the number of skills you have. So, for example, if you're playing in, uh, and rounding to the nearest five. It's all those things. So, for example, if you're playing in civilian, the average is like, I don't know, four fours. So you add six fours, you get 24, you round to the nearest five, 25. Yep. You're slightly above average because you're a character. Cinematic, the average score is a six, which means that you add all the sixes together, get 36, round to the nearest five, 35. Your character is below the average of a starting character in the world. Uh, n- no, because you're below the average of a cinematic character. <laughs> but that's the average characters in the world. You're no. in a cinematic world. No, that's the average cinematic character. You're Okay, but the average cinematic character is a character, because that's the people who you're yes, playing as. Yes, but I'm saying... <laughs> There's a difference between I'm John McClane and I'm a random dude at the fucking Nagatomi Plaza. <laughs> you are McClane. Everyone else is not. Okay, let's look, let's take it from that perspective. John McClane. John McClane should have an average of all of his sixes and all the stats because that's what a cinematic. Well, not really. Is. I mean, he has a shitty intelligence. I, I know, but let's just assume he's an, he has average stat, strength and stats and all of his stats, so he has 36 points. What if I wanted to build John McClane? Get 35 points because of rounding truthfully. Fuck you. That's how. That's what. It's just weird, especially because when it goes up to the next level, extreme, where they all have like eights or something, it again rounds up instead of down, so you become slightly above average compared to everybody else. It's just silly. Like, why not just do true, or not true rounding or rounding up, or why not not round at all? Or why not, instead of saying, well, we did this complicated math thing, just go, hey man, you get 25 points, 35 points, 45 points. Like, just, <laughs> just fucking give me a point total and don't justify it. It's fine. Yeah. Also, I uh, would like to mention that most of the skills take up about two paragraphs. Hacking as a skill takes up about 11 pages. Sure. And I'm guessing it's probably just because hacking is super. They wanted to fully and complete like computer combat for the various other action RPGs. There is a chance it's been beefed up in this game specifically because everyone sits at fucking computers all day in this world. 
Yeah. So maybe that's it. I don't know. But those are the things I really wanted to get out there that there's just like, oh, also, there's no rule for eating people. Like, there's just no mechanic for that. There's no, there's a, there's a, a chase. Chasing, but when you catch someone, do you have to fucking beat them to death and then just eat them slowly? Even though half the eating jokes in the show are just like, I'm mad at you. Humph, I have eaten you. Yeah. It makes me think that, oh, no, you go through a full chase, but if you get them, they're done. You just win. <laughs> There's a gag strip where a uh, Kel goes to visit her doctor. Her doctor is a snake. Uh-huh. And the snake gets a phone call, and the phone call is from a telemarketer, and he has eaten that telemarketer. Like, he ate that telemarketer yesterday. And he's like, please stop calling me here. I'm at work right now, and also, you should be tr- getting digested by me. And I'm like, wait, he just caught and ate a whole guy. And the whole gag is just like, oh, and the guy oh, has his, <laughs> I a guess, cell phone. cell phone. And I guess he thought he should just still keep working in there. <laughs> and like, and I get, I get it. You're like, oh, yeah, aren't telemarketers annoying? And I'm like, yeah, but not enough to, like, murder them and eat them. You know, I don't. I mean, this could have just been like, oh, I was out to get food <laughs> and I happened to eat a telemarketer. I didn't purposefully eat this Which one. Like, well, how did he get that telemarketer? Because he's alive and well in there. So he obviously won the chase. And then I guess just ate the guy alive. What do, how do snakes work in a universe where you have to beat everyone to death before you eat them? How do poisonous characters or venomous characters work? I would love to hear about that. Yeah. I don't know. We weren't going to get into it because we need to tell little jokes about what love is like <laughs> and how politicians are dumb <sighs> and how humans are st- ruined their own planet. But we're not for, you know, reasons. All right, fine. We can be done now. Thank you. It's been a long-ass episode anyway. It's been a long episode. Yeah, what a great song to hang this on, you know? Yeah. Everyone, go check out Counting Crows' Long December. You're going to regret that you did that. Yeah, you should check out different Counting Crows songs. It's not their best song. Listen to Hanging Around. That's the good one. All right, so uh, as always, hey, please go to our Patreon. Hey, Hey, Jeff. Yes. I'm breaking because this is stupid. I can't imagine anyone wanting to hey, go Jeff, to the Hey, Jeff, what was the best thing in this? Oh, fuck that shit. All right, fine, John. What was your favorite thing about this game? Oh, obviously the intense lore section. Honestly, if I need to pick one lore thing, it is the fact that human history happened exactly the same with animals and that there is an animal Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. I do like that a lot. That's my favorite. What about you? <laughs> uh, my favorite thing about this game is obviously also the insane lore and just never-ending ridiculous questions because it's the only thing that matters. The action role-playing game built into this is bare bo- or not bare bones. It's extremely overproduced. There's way too much shit to it, uh, but it's boring. Yes, and it has nothing to do with this game. Yes, so that's a problem. That the the, uh, the rules it's, or the lore itself is fucking fun as hell to read. If I had to pick a specific thing from the lore to say is hilarious, I'm going to go with that time where the Wolf Ken Star got to eat Clinton. Because <laughs> I guess if you sue someone and you're the prosecuting attorney and they're found guilty, you just get to eat them. I guess that's how their legal system works. That's how this shit works. I, now. I assume that all of the prosecutors are are uh, are uh, carnivores as a result of this. Yeah. You got to wonder, are the defense attorneys herbivores then? Because they're like, oh, I don't want someone defending me that if I, like, lose, they're going to eat me. It's way worse, John. You see, the prosecuting attorneys are carnivores because they get to eat you if you lose. But the defending attorneys are carnivores because they get to eat you if you win. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's how it works. Yeah. You you don't want to go to court in this world. Welcome to our prison system. That's the thing. No prison population. (laughs) Very low. We have jails and holding cells. What was the American slave trade like in this world? (laughs) Who were they? Don't worry about that. That's too deep. I don't want to go that deep. 
I've gone, I've gone too deep, my man, and I can't get out. I've gone into the Kevin and Kel hole, and I cannot find my way out. What was the worst thing? Uh, I mean, if I'm going with stuff from the lore, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that character who wears a sheepskin on his head that's an alive sheep because he like wants to keep her secret and safe. And, and everyone else is just like, why do you wear that on your head? He's like, I don't know. I think it's a cool style to wear a sheep on your head all the time. Oh, you mean the fucking ridiculous? The trans allegory? Uh, Yes, he is also the trans allegory character because he decides to switch out because he's he's going to be prey because he's like that sheep so much. He's not like in love with her or anything. They're just friends. But he he respects her so much that he decides that uh, uh, herbivory is right for him and gets surgery to have three extra stomachs implanted so he can become a ruminant, not just an herbivore, a ruminant. He needs to eat worthless grass. Well, yeah, because there's. There's the difference between, in our predator prey is everything here, sexuality is like, oh, I've decided I'm only going to eat meat or I'm only going to eat uh, plants. Yeah. But the trans allegory is, I'm going to become a prey when I was a predator or vice versa. Yes, exactly. Um, and uh, you can go either way. You, you can be a prey person who becomes a predator if you want. It yeah. Works, but it mostly, it, the, his trans allegory is just a joke for... Uh, a story where a nearsighted rhino finds out about it and then charges him because it's weird that a wolf would choose to be a prey item. Weird. Yeah. So there you go. Hateful. Wh- what's your least favorite thing? Uh, I mean, the rules, probably. <laughs> just probably the all rules. the rules. Just the rules. Just the probably, fact that this is a role-playing game. Probably. I mean, the fact that there's so much gun stuff and no gun in this is like, <laughs> come on, man. Yeah. If you have strength one, you can pick up an M1 Garand. A what? <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you mean carrot crossbow? Are you talking about the most dangerous thing in the world because we built guns, but literally no one has, knows how to use them? There's no skill for that. <laughs> Everyone is just firing wildly. <laughs> no wonder it's not honorable to use them. You could kill so many bystanders. Oh, all right. Hey, man, would you play Kevin and Kel the role playing game? <laughs> no, <laughs> absolutely not. What? Who would? Why would they do this? Why not just make this the furry role-playing game and call it a day? Why did you need to give a license that makes no fucking sense and isn't even about furries and bolt it to this and then call it the furry game? Uh, because the person who wrote this really liked that comic strip and went, oh, this is an open game license. I don't think anyone really likes that comic strip. I think people are like I think the dude who made fascinated by it. <laughs> I think the guy who wrote this was like, this is intense, and I have been following this comic strip for eight years, Man. and I need to let people know about it, and the only way I can think to do that is to take an open game license and slap it onto this. I need to fucking call David Cronenberg and be like, look, you've been looking to wait for a way to do a Crash sequel, and I found it. There's a guy who only gets off by reading the Kevin and Kel comic strip. <laughs> This is fucking ridiculous. No, I wouldn't play this. Would you? Oh, no. Goodness, no. I don't like the system in this, but I would I would kill to play in the Kevin and Kel universe. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's a better engine for the Kevin and Kel universe, and it's probably the Duckman game. And it's probably. It's probably Duckman. Probably Duckman. Because it's just office politics and fucking with people. I, I, I guess. Yeah, you, I mean, the fucking with people role is basically the I'm going to eat you role. You know what? It, I'm gonna. I, I said my least favorite was one little aspect of the lore. I'm gonna change that. It's gonna be all the times in the sample character creations where they dip into the sexuality of these characters and their and their proclivities, where they're like, "Oh, by the way, just don't worry about Kevin and Kel's love life. They have a very satisfying and very frequent sexual relationship." Lindisfarne isn't sexual with Fenton yet. But it's a sure thing that she will be, and when it She's is... She's gonna fuck that bat. And when she does, it's gonna be mind-blowing. And I'm like, dude, stop. Just stop. 
Stop telling me about the sex these animals have had and that they are going to have. I don't need it. <laughs> okay. That's my that's okay. my least favorite. Thank you. Neither of us will play this. Patreon. Let's try that part again, huh? Hey. Please come to our Patreon. I don't know why anyone would after this fucking hey. inc- awful display. We've lost our minds. Please give us a dollar. Maybe we can <laughs> find it again. Uh, that's over at patreon.com slash system mastery, where if you support us at the $1 level, you will get access to our basic bonus content. What's that, you ask? Why, it's our bonus content for system mastery, where we make characters in the engine that we just reviewed and describe them to you at great detail and try to have some fun, maybe dig up some extra stuff. This time, probably a lot of extra stuff. Probably. And uh, it's always worth it, but that's not the only level you can support us at. No, sir. You can support us at the $2 level. If you do that, then you get access to all of our Star Wars Expanded Expounded Universe bonus content. You can support us at the $5 level, which gets you our new TV mastery. It's not new. We're in the fourth season. Um, but our fun TV mastery and our afterthought, which is mostly a Q&A and jerk around session. We we both jerk, jerk off every episode. We jerk around <laughs> this town on the corner. <laughs> we jerk up, jerk up, and get down. I've been jerking around. <laughs> It's, it's the Counting it's Crows episode. Only Counting Crows. Uh, the Counting Crows are part of the Great Bird Conspiracy. <laughs> Thanks. All right. We'll see you later. Please come to the Patreon. Bye. Welcome to Character Creation Cast, a show where we create and discuss characters, the best part of role-playing games, with guests using their favorite systems. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Bolter. And I'm your other host, Amelia Antrim. Join us as we sit down with game designers, podcasters, and fans of games as we dive into learning about different RPGs through the lens of character creation. It's a combination of character building, player advice, game design insights, and even a little bit of fan fiction for a different game every month. We tackle a variety of new and old games, both well-known and indie-produced titles. We learn how creating characters can tell us a lot about the games themselves. Check us out today anywhere you can get podcasts or on the OneShot Podcast Network at OneShotPodcast.com.